You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Hello, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Every year in the United States, more than almost 800,000 people have a stroke. 795,000. May is Stroke Awareness Month. A stroke, of course, is a potentially life-changing event that can have both lasting physical and emotional effects. And the older you are, the more likely you are, are, of course, to have a stroke. The chance of having a stroke after you turn age 55 doubles every 10 years. Our guest this morning is Dr. Brian Wiseman. He is a neurologist, and he's vice president of the Spine and Brain Institute at UT Medical Center. He is also the board president of the Knoxville chapter of the American Heart Association. Good morning, Dr. Wiseman. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you with us. Now, you're a board-certified neurologist. Did you, let's talk a little bit about your medical journey. I know uh, my sister was a doctor, and I know other friends that are doctors that when they went to medical school, they didn't think they'd be in the specialty they are now. Tell us a little bit about your journey. When did you get interested in the brain? Well, Jim, I've been interested in medicine for, gosh, um, I remember being in fifth grade and just fascinated with the body and human physiology. And um, I remember my uh, parents bought me one of those anatomy coloring books. I don't know if you've ever seen those before, but I went to town on that thing and, uh, and really enjoyed learning the anatomy and, and physiology of our human body and just the complexity of, of what happens to, um, make us function. And, and you and I sitting here today talking and, um, exchanging information is, is all the little things that go on in our body to make that happen is just unbelievable. Um, fast forward to college age, and uh, I had the opportunity to work with a neurologist in my hometown, and uh, I learned how fascinating the brain, spinal cord, and nerves are, and um, and that was sort of the the launching pad for for my career, really. So when you went to medical school, you already kind of were just really fascinated by neurology. Absolutely, yeah, and and that that even. Uh, escalated my my interest even more when I went to medical school and learned about all the different uh, anatomy of the brain and spinal cord and and what can happen from a uh, disease standpoint to the brain and spinal cord and all the muscles and nerves of the body and uh, it it was a rocket ship at that point Jim that's Um, great I I can't even imagine the level of how many, like when you got out of medical school, how long was a residency and then maybe a fellowship or what, what was that length to become a neurologist? Right. So, you know, medical school is four years. uh, And then after that you do a residency, the first year of the residency is uh, you're working hard as an intern 
and you're learning more than just neurology you're learning all about medicine so to go to be a neurologist you have to do that first year of internal medicine and um, at, at that point I was in Birmingham actually um, and a big center there uh, um, you know, a huge academic center in Birmingham that, uh, taught me all the right things about internal medicine. And then after that was three years of the neurology residency program. Um, and then I decided to, um, do a year of fellowship at the Cleveland clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, obviously a great experience there, uh, learning a little bit more about, uh, nerve and muscle disease. Um, and so, but my passion has always really been around stroke. Um, when I was training in Birmingham, uh, you can imagine we saw a lot of stroke patients, uh, in that institution. And, uh, it really, uh, set me up for, um, my path and my career really to be focused on stroke care, uh, in East Tennessee. Yeah, that's great. Um, let, let, let's dive right into that. I mentioned May is Stroke Awareness Month. According to the World Health Organization, the lifetime risk of developing a stroke in the last 15 years has increased by 50%. Now, one in four people is estimated to have a stroke in their lifetime. What do you think the contributing factors are to the increases in the incidence of stroke? Well, I think there's a lot of uh, potential factors that that have caused that statistic. Um, you know, we're um, there are more of us, uh, and that if if you're talking about World Health Organization uh, stats, you know, there's a lot of underserved areas in our world um, that don't have appropriate medical care, and uh, there are a lot of risk factors for stroke. Uh, that are probably undetected in a lot of people, especially if they don't have access to care. Um, and, and, then you, and then you start talking about the environmental um, aspect of uh, increasing pollution, uh, cigarette smoking, alcohol use, drug use, um, a lot of these things that have really escalated in our society probably are one of the contributing factors for that Statistic. Yeah, we're just not, we're getting less healthy as a country for sure. Um, for, let's start with how would you define a stroke? I mean, I know there are different kinds of strokes, but if I said, what's your definition for a stroke? Yeah, a stroke is uh, essentially when part of the brain dies and uh, that brain can die for various reasons. The two common reasons for the brain to die, not enough blood flow or you have too much blood in an area in or around the brain that shouldn't be there. And so that first type is called an ischemic stroke. An ischemic stroke essentially means that there is a blood vessel that is not getting blood going through it to part of the brain, starving that part of the brain from oxygen, from glucose, which is sugar, nutrients, um, and that brain starts to die. And the person that is suffering that stroke has deficits that are attributed to that part of the brain that's dying. Um, and those are the symptoms and signs of stroke. And it, it really all depends on what part of the brain is affected at that point, what kind of symptoms they're going to have. Now, can you talk a little bit about the acronym FAST? I know that's used a lot, you know, to try to detect is something going on with somebody that we need to be aware of and looking for. Yeah, exactly. So the the deficits that happen, we can categorize into different symptoms and signs. And so 
FAST stands for face, arm, speech, and time. Now we've kind of evolved that into a different acronym called BFAST, B-E-F-A-S-T. B stands for balance, E stands for eyes. So we've done that in order to incorporate more parts of the brain, more symptoms and deficits that people have so that we can capture strokes that previously weren't recognized as strokes. So B, balance. So if you have incoordination or even dizziness, especially if you have nausea or vomiting, eyes means did you lose vision um, in one or both eyes? And then the fast is the same, face, arm, speech, and time. So if part of your face just maybe isn't responding as much or paralysis of just like one spot. Exactly. So what we ask people to do is if you feel like someone you're with is suffering a stroke, have them smile. And so the corners of the mouth should come up symmetrically. There's a little crease that we all have but from our nose down to the corner yeah. of our mouth that's called the nasolabial fold. That's the fancy word for it. But that crease, when people smile in stroke patients, is a little bit flattened. Sometimes it's pretty obvious. Other times it's much more subtle. And so that is definitely one symptom or sign of stroke that needs to be aware. Can you talk? I mean, we know the how important it is when somebody has an episode of anything health-related, how important it is to get quick medical care. How critical is that with stroke? Like, is it the first hour? Is it the first three hours? I mean, how, I, just as soon as possible, but how critical is that, that first bit and, you know, getting care? Yeah, that's that's a great point. That's super critical. I, I can't stress an, enough how important it is to access health care, specifically the emergency department, in a very timely manner. So the T on the end of FAST is is time. Call 911 get the paramedics there. That's very important. A lot of times people I've, I've noticed sometimes want to drive themselves to the emergency department and access the ER that way. Um, that is not the ideal situation. And the reason it's not ideal is because those paramedics are trained in stroke care. They know what to do. They know what to give you before you get to the hospital. And, and the other thing that's important that I can't emphasize enough, those paramedics, your lifeline, are calling ahead, and me and my stroke team are down there ready for you when you get to the emergency department. And so we know that time matters. So the every minute that we can shave from the onset of the event to treatment of the event, we're saving brain cells. And, and some estimates are up to 2 million brain cells per minute are lost in a stroke. Mm. And of course, sometimes things can be reversed. Sometimes they can't, I guess. And then, you know, I have questions about even how you diagnose the stroke. So I'll tell you what, we're May is Stroke Awareness Month. We are visiting with Dr. Brian Wiseman. He is, uh, he is vice president of the Spine and Brain Institute at UT Medical Center. He's a neurologist. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about diagnosis how to treat recovery, all those things, and, and prevention, which I think is so important, of course. So stay tuned. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. You can also catch all of our show's podcast at Apple Podcast and uh, Spotify. Just type in More Living. You'll be able to find us. May is Stroke Awareness Month, and we're visiting this morning with Dr. Brian Wiseman. Uh, he is over at the UT Spine and Brain Institute. Uh, let's talk about diagnosis. How do you diagnose a stroke? Is it brain images? Is it blood work? How do you diagnose that? So the diagnosis really is rooted in the physical examination. And and so when a patient comes in to the emergency department or the hospital, we're right there waiting for the patient to arrive. If that if they came through the EMS route that we talked about a little bit ago. And when we, when that patient comes in, we immediately go into the examination. And so that's that's the most critical piece of information that I have to work on to help me diagnose that patient right in front of me, what may be going on. There are certain signs and symptoms that we look for on the examination. Once the examination is done and we're doing a brief examination, um, we go straight to the CT scanner. And, and at UT Medical Center, our CT scanner is literally 10 feet away from our resuscitation bay where we see our stroke patients. And so it's a quick examination now on the CT scan, oftentimes a new stroke, if the stroke is only an hour, hour and a half, even up to three hours old, if it's the ischemic stroke variety, that CT scan may be com- look completely normal. And the ischemic is lack of oxygen to the brain. Ischemic is a clot that's blocking a vessel that's depriving that brain territory Oof. of oxygen and nutrients. Yeah. That's correct. Whereas the other one is too much blood. Hemorrhagic stroke is when there's a rupture of a blood vessel. And and we can actually see that on the CT scan. So in the first three hours, you may not even see any evidence of stroke? Sometimes up to 6 to 24, 24 hours old. Um, some of these strokes are small and and they're not clearly visible on the initial CT scan. So that's where it takes, it's going back to my, my journey of the fascination behind the neurological patient and trying to figure out that puzzle that's sitting in front of you and then the treatment strategy of what to do with that puzzle. Hmm. Now, what about mini strokes? My dad, this is interesting, and I don't want to sound talking to a doctor. I don't want to say things like, oh, you didn't say that right. But my dad had vascular dementia, so he had some dementia that was caused by a lot of mini strokes is the way I always understood that. I guess that would have been TIAs. What's the difference in a TIA or a mini stroke compared to other strokes? Yeah. So I'm glad you asked that question because I I, I see that confusion a lot in, in people um, – even even some of my medical colleagues sometimes uh, get confused about what what is this so-called mini stroke and what is a TIA. Um, so those are not synonymous necessarily. Sometimes they're used synonymously, but uh, probably incorrectly. So let's start with TIA. TIA stands for transient ischemic attack. Essentially, it's a stroke syndrome 
that comes and it leaves and doesn't it doesn't leave any permanent marks in the brain. So if we do an MRI scan of the brain on a on a patient that had a clear cut TIA, we don't see any strokes. We don't see any infarcts, which is dead brain tissue. And we can see that on the MRI scan pretty clearly. Um, most TIAs on average last 15 to 30 minutes. They're not very long episodes. Okay, so that's TIA. It's a stroke syndrome. Patient has deficits, left-sided weakness, right-sided weakness, slurred speech, facial weakness. That comes and goes. A what what a lot of people describe as mini strokes are actually small spots in the brain that we see on imaging. These spots were probably silent, meaning they didn't cause any deficits or symptoms, right? And so we can see them on imaging and they're little tiny on the MRI scan on a certain sequence, they're little tiny white spots in the brain. Sometimes we call that white matter disease because that's where these spots usually live in the white matter of the brain, which is sort of deep down in the brain itself. Those little tiny white spots in the vast majority of people are related to atherosclerosis of the small arteries that perforate into the deep part of the brain. So these are little tiny cerebral microinfarcts or small infarcts in the brain that usually didn't cause any symptoms. If those spots accumulate over time, it can start leading to cognitive problems. So that's where people are diagnosed with vascular dementia and sometimes they can lead to walking problems and patients can sometimes look like they have Parkinson's disease when in actuality it's vascular Parkinsonism because they've accumulated enough of these little tiny microinfarcts or cerebral microinfarcts in their brain to create those symptoms and deficits over time. And they didn't have any stroke symptoms at all. You know, they didn't have left-sided weakness. Maybe they did. At some point, maybe they did. But because these spots often hit areas of the brain that are silent, so to speak, they don't have any symptoms. They don't know that they're there. And eventually, as they develop cognitive issues over time, their doctor says, ah, we need to do a scan of your brain, and we find these little tiny spots. So would it be right to say, and again, this might be wrong, but would it be right to say a TIA, so a regular, a, a stroke that's, the, the the first two strokes you mentioned, it's not a TIA. Of course, that is a type of ischemic stroke, right? But I guess if, it, if the, the first two you mentioned, those can be major, major events, right? And I would, th- I've always understood TIA is something that accumulates and builds up over time. Is that a good way to say that? No. No, it, a, a TIA is a discrete event that happens to a patient. So they have right-sided weakness that lasts for 15 minutes and then goes away completely. But then it leaves damage in there. Actually, it doesn't. A TIA does not leave any damage. If we do an MRI scan on a, on a TIA patient, clear-cut TIA, we don't see any marks in their brain. That's a TIA. If it's a what you described as a, a mini-stroke, those are tiny little white spots in the brain that we see on MRI and CT imaging in someone that may not even even had a stroke syndrome in the past. 
Gotcha. Now I understand the difference. Yeah, I didn't. Okay, thank you for that. We're visiting this morning with Dr. Brian Wiseman. Uh, May is Stroke Awareness Month. He is the Vice President of the Spine and Brain Institute at UT Medical Center. You know, you mentioned the ischemic is lack of nutrients getting to the brain, so something's blocking the blood. Or And most of our heart issues deal with lack of supply. Um, cardiovascular disease, we were just talking off air, that is the number one killer in America. How linked are those two things? How linked is code of cardiovascular disease with stroke? They're, they're uh, first cousins, uh, if, if not uh, siblings. Uh, you know, vascular disease affecting the heart. If you have vascular disease somewhere in your body, you're very likely to have it other places. So the, the three common areas that we see vascular disease, heart, brain, and the peripheral arteries, so the arteries that go to the legs. You've probably seen or heard of people that have had PAD or peripheral arterial disease. That's another form of vascular disease that we see. So a lot of the risk factors that lead to cardiovascular disease also lead to cerebrovascular disease or stroke and TIA. If somebody has had a stroke, does it increase their risk of a heart, a, a heart attack? Yes, and vice versa. So if you've had a stroke, increases the risk of heart attack. If you've had a heart attack, increases the risk of stroke. And that risk is highest after an event has happened. So if I have a stroke patient that last week, their risk of another stroke or a heart attack is highest right after that event. So that's where you're going to do more treatment with things like blood thinners and that's exactly cholesterol right. medicine and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Stroke is a leading cause of serious long-term disability. Can you talk a little bit about the long-term effects of a stroke? Yeah, there are various long-term effects, and it really depends on what territory of the brain was affected. Um, and then how much is impact? So what territory, but also how quickly it's treated? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and I'm glad you mentioned that going back to sort of the initial treatment strategy that we talked about going to the emergency department, the importance of calling 911 and having the paramedics take you to the ER rather than you trying to drive yourself to the ER. We have two primary modalities of treatment that have significant impact on your likelihood of a good functional recovery. That means you don't have any disability from your stroke. One is a clot dissolving medication. The second is in some patients, if they have a very major stroke, is actually sticking a catheter up into the arteries of the brain, grabbing that clot, pulling it out. So those are the two major treatment strategies that have been shown um, with clinical trials and evidence. No doubt about it, these things work Time is of the utmost importance. So it's not necessarily irreversible. It depends on the damage ultimately to the brain. But the cause of that damage, what I'm hearing, is that can sometimes be fixed. It sometimes can be. You know, we, we try to limit the damage. Right. You know, oftentimes if someone's having a major stroke with a large artery that's blocked in their brain, they're going to have some damage from that stroke. We try to limit that damage by getting that blood vessel open as quickly as possible. We're visiting with Dr. Brian Wiseman, May is Stroke Awareness Month. When we come back, I want to talk more about 
rehabilitation and treatment, and then also want to talk, most importantly, about prevention. We'll also have our dollars and cents segment. We may never see as friendly of a tax environment in terms of income, federal income taxes, as we have this year and the next couple of years. How can you take advantage of this tax environment? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. May is Stroke Awareness Month. And as we discovered in the last segment, Stroke and cardiovascular disease are first cousins. They're so linked, and both of those issues cause so many things to happen in us as we age. I definitely want to get into prevention and rehabilitation and risk factors. We're visiting with Dr. Brian Wiseman. He's over at the University of Tennessee with the the Spine and Brain Institute. Let's talk about – I want to go through a few of these risk factors, if we could – overweight i mean we have a society that is overweight i struggle with my weight so you know if we just looked at one risk factor i know i know you'd say as a doctor oh you can't look at just one (laughs) overweight like i'm 53 and i've put on weight since the pandemic started i put on about 30 pounds now i've gotten about 20 of that off but in the last few months but i kind of determined at my age overweight is the single most important thing i need to address what would you say about that i I wouldn't be able to disagree with that jim um you know you you are correct there there is an obesity endemic pandemic whatever you want to call it in our country um and uh, and weight is a major issue uh and in addition to it being a risk factor for stroke and cardiovascular disease, it increases your other it increases the chances of your other risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Yeah, when I look at some of these other risk factors, so many of them are directly tied to overweight. It doesn't mean you couldn't have them without being overweight, but I look at high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol. Now, sometimes some of those can be more hereditary, but overweight's certainly a factor, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't pay to be overweight when it comes to those risk factors. So if you already have those risk factors at a normal weight and you gain weight, those risk factors are going to escalate and, and be more difficult to control. So in controlling your weight and, and being a normal weight is going to help your blood pressure, your diabetes, your cholesterol, um, the other thing that goes hand in hand with weight that we often don't, don't associate as a risk factor for stroke and heart disease is obstructive sleep apnea. And so that's another potential risk factor for having a stroke, hmm. having a heart attack is, is sleep apnea. And there's so many people that I talk to that haven't been diagnosed to that that will tell me, you know, Jim, I think I probably have sleep apnea. 
that really need to get diagnosed. They need to do a sleep study. I mean, that's critically important, right? I believe it is. And, you know, uh, sleep apnea in general, you know, puts stress on your blood vessels when you're sleeping at night and uh, not to mention your brain and your heart um, increases your risk of refractory blood pressure problems, which in turn increases your risk of heart disease and stroke. So it, it's almost like a vicious cycle. Um, and I don't disagree that, you know, I think there are a lot of people walking around that have undiagnosed obstructive sleep apnea. Um, and it's, and it's critically important to, to learn about your risk factors, including sleep apnea, but all the other risk factors for stroke and heart disease. Talk to us about alcohol. You mentioned alcohol in the first segment. So talk to us about alcohol and the effect on stroke. So it, it's interesting. Alcohol um, in excess increases our risk for having vascular problems, including stroke. Um, and, you know, we think that mild alcohol use may have some protective uh, effects on the vasculature. You know, they, they, uh, we always advocate the Mediterranean diet for uh, as a heart-healthy, stroke-healthy diet, and part of that is uh, a glass of red wine. The Mediterraneans like their red wine. And so we think that that may have a little bit of protective benefit. Um, that doesn't mean that we advocate drinking alcohol. Uh, if, if, <laughs> if, you're, if you don't drink alcohol, we don't generally say you need to go drink alcohol. Um, but if you drink too much in excess, and, and you know, usually for women, that's one alcoholic beverage or uh, greater, More than, greater than one a day for men that's greater than two a day then you're starting to increase your risk of having vascular events yeah i've heard it said that when you you quickly go from non-inflammatory to inflammatory when you drink alcohol is that probably a good way to say that i think it's a good way to say it yes why is it it seems like europeans are healthier they're thinner they don't they're not as overweight they drink more but are they consuming better quality food or, or am I wrong? They're not healthier. Um, I, I, I don't know that the answer to that, uh, honestly. But <laughs> putting them uh, on the spot. Yeah, but but uh, I, I do think there um, uh, is is some weight based uh, reality there. I think in in general, uh, I've not been to Europe in 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 my lifetime, but from what I've been told, they're they're thin. Um, and maybe that's diet, maybe that's exercise, uh, lifestyle difference. I know they eat a lot less. Their meals are smaller. Yeah. Our, our, we have a quality and a quantity problem. Don't you think? I, I do agree. And, with and that. I, listen, I'm preaching to the choir. I do agree with that. Our, our portions tend to be, uh, uh, Texas sized, yeah. uh, not to beat up on Texas, <laughs> but, uh, um, we do, we do have portion control issues, I think. And, uh, and there may be some genetics involved in that as well, but, um, but I do think the, the lifestyle is a little bit different. We're visiting with Dr. Brian Wiseman at Stroke Awareness Month. I'm going to go ahead and get to our last break when we come back. I, I'm going to have our dollars and cents segment. We're going to talk about that the fact that this year and the next couple of years is probably the friendliest income tax environment we'll see in our remaining lifetimes. And then I have some very interesting statistics on heart disease and stroke that I want to ask Dr. Wiseman about that I think open our eyes to some things that we can be doing for prevention. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. 
Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. We're visiting with Dr. Brian Wiseman. We're talking about stroke. May is Stroke Awareness Month. We've not done a lot on this show on stroke. We've done a lot on cardiovascular disease, but I think stroke is such a critical thing. It's affecting more and more people. Most of us have been affected by somebody we love uh, that's had issues with stroke. So I think it's a very important topic, especially this Stroke Awareness Month. Before we get back to Dr. Wiseman, however, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. 2023 may be one of the friendliest years for income tax planning that we've ever seen. And this year and the next two years are as good as I believe we'll see in our lifetimes. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Tax rates did not go down this year, but the tax brackets changed pretty dramatically because of the cost of living adjustments based on the inflation rate last year. So before you hit higher tax brackets all the way up the scale, you have to have a lot more income. So... Plus, we're in a low tax environment. We've, we, our highest income tax bracket has been under 40% since 1986. That is very unusual in U.S. history. Our, our U.S. taxes, and I've talked about this before, have been as high as 94%. It's been in the 70s and in the 50s for a lot of our history. We know that in 2026, tax rates are going up as the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expires. The standard deduction is being almost cut in half. And then what is the risk with our federal debt and our spending issues? What is the risk that there's additional increases in our tax system? You know, if I look at our history, when we've had stress in the United States, whether it's war or economic stress, you think about the Great Depression, you think about World War II, you think about the 70s and hyperinflation, and you think about uh, 2020 with the tech crash and, and the recessionary events that happened out of that. And then you had the Great Recession and you had, um, in, in all those instances, and the pandemic, when we have huge stress, the government steps in and spends a lot of money. And the Federal Reserve passes policy that is, or issues policy that is extremely accommodating, meaning easy money. Well... Usually, up until the last 15 or 16 years when that's happened, we've had an adjustment in our income tax system to bring our debt down. But nothing's happened since the Great Recession of 2007, 2008, and 2009, and since the pandemic in 2020. There's been no fundamental increase in our tax rates. There's actually been a decrease with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily what's the best way to solve this problem. I'm merely 
mentioning that we've got real opportunities. How can you take advantage of those opportunities? And there are a couple of ways. One would be looking at, should you be considering Roth conversion? Should you look at maybe taking money out of an IRA and paying the income tax now and converting it to a Roth where it's tax-free in the future? One of the biggest sweet spots for that is the 24% tax bracket right now goes all the way up to $350,000 of taxable income. And in three years, that bracket's going to go to 32. So 24% is going to go to 32. That's a big difference. And you look at taking retirement account withdrawals when you're retired, your taxation, if you have large retirement accounts, could be pretty high. So Roth conversion would be one way to take advantage of this tax environment. Another way to take advantage would be look at capital gains tax harvesting. Long-term capital gains are one of the friendliest things the Congress has ever given us in the Internal Revenue Code. They're pretty much across the board, much, much friendlier rates than earned income. Are you positioning your non-retirement account investments to be able to take advantage of long-term capital gains tax treatment? That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Please check us out at BroganFinancial.com. We've got a plethora of information you can download. You can click on resources. We've got guides. You can also podcast all of our shows here on More Living. Now, we're talking about Stroke Awareness Month. We've got Dr. Brian Wiseman with us from the University of Tennessee. And, Dr. Wiseman, I have some very interesting heart disease and stroke statistics, and I want to ask you about these, a few of these. There's a few that kind of jump out at me. One is that 9.7 million, so almost 10 million Americans have undiagnosed diabetes. So is, is some of that more in the rural areas? Is that widespread and even in the rural area, in the urban areas? Yeah, that, that's a shocking number. And, um, and I think it's probably widespread. I think you're going to see that in probably inner city, urban, and certainly in rural populations as well. And so that's being in tune to our bodies and being regularly seen by a physician. Absolutely. I think knowing your risk factors is 90% of the battle when it comes to preventing heart disease and stroke. Um, and that means having a primary care provider, a family practice. And doc, going in for regular physicals. Absolutely. Getting checked out. 116 million adults. 116 have pre-diabetes, so there's. I guess that means they're showing signs of insulin resistance. That's correct. Yeah, they're. That's they're like on almost the road. half of the adult population. Yep, yep. They're on the road for diabetes, which wow. is certainly a risk factor. Um, now, here's this is interesting. We talk about sleep, and you mentioned sleep apnea, and of course, there's so many issues with oxygen to the brain, also the heart function, but just in terms of good sleep. People that every hour per night that you decrease your sleep below the seven, seven to eight hours per night is what's recommended. Every hour you reduce sleep gives you a 6% higher risk of cardiovascular disease. But what really jumped out is for one every one hour per night of increase in sleep, sleeping more than seven to eight hours has a 12% risk of higher incidence of cardiovascular disease. I've never heard that. 
so we could be sleeping too much. Some people could be. I think there's a lot of interesting data around sleep and how, just like you said, you don't you you get too much, you don't get enough. You need to hit that sweet spot. We're all built a little bit differently, but on average, I think that seven to eight hours is is a good target to shoot for. Um, it sleep is very interesting. It 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 has to be restorative sleep, and so if you have sleep apnea and you feel like you're sleeping seven or eight hours, your brain and body may not be getting that seven to eight hours. You may be getting three to four hours. So sleep, when we talk about prevention, there's so many good things that happen with restorative sleep, and, and we've done shows on that. So I just want to kind of reiterate that. Um, only one in four adults in the U.S. achieves adequate leisure time aerobic and muscle strengthening activities being active right and muscle strengthening resistance training absolutely i mean exercise is critically important to reducing our risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke there's no doubt about it and as we've discussed previously with your colleague jeff johnson who's with ut cardiology uh, cumulative exercise counts so just walking further counting our steps parking further away in the parking lot getting out and walking 20 minutes a couple times a day it, the cumulative effect of that is powerful then the last thing i want to mention less than 10 percent of u.s adults less than 10 percent meet the guidelines for whole grain whole fr- fruit and non-starchy vegetable consumption that's remarkable yeah. we don't like we we like to shop uh, on those processed food aisles, don't we? We do because they taste good. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's the bottom line. But but you hit two important things, healthy diet and exercise, regular healthy diet and exercise. As you mentioned, exercise, moderate exercise, five days a week, 30 minutes a pop, you're reducing your stroke risk by probably 25%. Just that alone will reduce your stroke risk. So critically important. Dr. Brian Wiseman, he is with the the Spine and Brain Institute at UT Medical Center. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Today we've discussed health and stroke awareness because greater health provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you to Riley for running the board, engineering the show. Thank you to Jill for helping produce the show. You've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.